I'd like for you to turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel. There seems to be a new interest in the macabre. This is witnessed by the fact that there's a new series on television that I understand has really um, hit the jackpots called Dark Shadows. Some of you may have seen it. Um, if you watch television Friday night, was it Friday night, 2020? They had an exorcism of a demon from the body of a young teenage girl. And they brought these cameras in. This happened in October when they filmed this. And they got in video on video and audio the exorcism of a demon. So uh, testified from the body of a teenage girl that was performed by a Catholic bishop. Right in the middle of the exorcism. Somebody called me and asked me if I was watching it. I wasn't watching it because those kind of things, frankly, scare me to death. I, I won't even look at them on television. But there seems to be a new emphasis or a new interest in the macabre, the occult, the spirit world. And some are trying to, to make contact in a tangible way with this other world. And when that happens, the tendency is to be fearful. Um, there is an unseen world around us. We live in two worlds, really. There is an unseen world that is invisible, and there is a world that is visible. That We see each other tonight, but there is an unseen world where there are beings that we cannot see. They're invisible. There is a physical and material world, and that's where you and I relate in the physical and material, but there is also, in my opinion and belief, a spiritual world. And in this spiritual world, there are two kinds of beings. There are angels, angelic hosts, that minister from God, and they minister to the saints, sent by God to minister to the saints. And in this um, spiritual world, invisible and intangible, are the um, demonic hosts, an innumerable host of the, de of the devil, of the demonic. And they're engaged in an opposite objective. And the opposite objective in which they're engaged is our demise, our destruction, and our defeat. Now, the humanist would scoff at such a thing. I know that. There are some people who would hear that and they would literally scoff and, and make fun of that. But it is taught not only in the Old Testament but in the New Testament. Now, one of the things about biblical interpretation to remember is that the way that you are able to understand if the message from the Old Testament and in the Gospels is relevant for our day. If it speaks to our day, if it's relevant for our day, it will be found in the epistles. And it is true that this invisible world and what is taught about the 
the unseen world is found in the epistles. For example, I want you to turn, before we get into Daniel, just hold your place there. I want you to turn to the most familiar. Uh, it's found in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. So turn there, would you please? Ephesians chapter 6. Now what you find in Ephesians chapter 6 is instruction concerning that which is relevant for us in the 20th century is true as much as the first century. And this is what it says, beginning verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, the strategy. Well, let me say, just uh, pause a moment to say that, that the demonic beings in the unseen world are not omniscient. That is, they don't know everything. But they are observant. And they do plan and strategize your defeat. It is a fact. And it is my humble and accurate opinion that that they know, all, they know more about you than you know about them. As a matter of fact, it might be pretty frightening if you knew what they know about you. And they strategize in this unseen world for your demise, for your defeat, for your failure, fall. All right, let's go to the next verse. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here it is, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Underline several words in that. I want you to underline the first four. If there is a chain of command, we'll come back to this later. Rulers, powers, world forces, spiritual forces. And then underline the term in heavenly places. Now, for the per back to, to Daniel chapter 10. For the person who reads this for the first time, he probably would see this in absolute amazement. If this were the first time you heard something like this, there would be perhaps two responses. One response would be that you'd say, well, now, I don't know if I really, you know, believe that stuff or not. There must be something else to that. Or that was, a, that was something for, for an ancient world. Or the second response might be that you might have is that this is the most astounding and awesome and frightening thing I've heard in a long time. I, I know that there are those two responses. Now if there is a conflict in this spiritual world unseen, where does it take place? It takes place in the heavenly places. Now the scripture tells us that there are three heavens. Unlike what the Mormons teach, there are three heavens. One is the immediate heaven where the clouds are, the birds fly. We refer to that as heaven. The second is the intermediate heaven. This, the Jews believe this. The intermediate heaven is where the stars are. And the final, the ultimate heaven beyond that is where God is, where God dwells. It's called the third heaven. And if you remember from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 
the Apostle Paul tells about that experience. Many believe that he actually literally died when he was stoned, and as the book of as the book of Acts records it, and he was carried into the very presence of God into the third heaven. And that experience he talks about being caught up in the third heaven. So the Jews believe there are three heavens: the inter, the, the immediate heaven, the intermediate heaven, and the third heaven. Somewhere between. Now watch this. Somewhere between heaven, the third heaven, and the earth, these unseen creatures, beings, exist, and there the warfare is carried on. And if you and I could see the unseen world, it would blow our mind. I wonder tonight what it would, it would be absolutely, we couldn't, we couldn't stand it, we couldn't handle it. If all of a sudden you and I were able to see what exists in this invisible world somewhere between the third heaven and the earth. Now from the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, by the way, we all believe that, that little children have guardian angels. I can remember uh, when I was a, a little boy going to my grandmother's house and and she had a picture on her wall. I remember how I'd look at that thing for a long period of time. It's mesmerized by it. Some of you may have it. It's an old, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's an angel. has big wings, you know. And there's this little child. Seems like he uh, was on a you know, dangerous precipice or something. But he was, it was obvious that he was in imminent danger. And there was this angel hovering over him, over that child. We believe that children have angels. They better have the ones that I know keep them out of, keep them getting killed. But adults have angels too. Some of you got one sitting beside you, you know. But there is a, in this unseen world, there are angels that watch over adults. Now watch this. That's what the book of Daniel is about. Chapter 10. Let's go to chapter 10. Now I'm going to set the, the scene for you by reading verses 1 through 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true, one of great conflict, but he understood the message, and he had an understanding of the vision. Now, we've been reading here where Daniel didn't have a slightest idea what these visions were about, but he did know this one. He did understand this. Now, here it is. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks, in three entire weeks, and I did not eat any tasty food. It means bread of desirability. I didn't take any bread nor did, I, nor did, did eat meat or wine enter my mouth. Nor did I use any anointment at all. It means he didn't take a bath. Now, for three weeks, this guy went without even taking a bath. Nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Now, I want you to follow me carefully because this is such a magnificent passage. Everybody ought to read this passage, this chapter. There was something going on in Daniel's life that was so intense that for three weeks he didn't eat and he didn't drink and he didn't bathe 
And he was just waiting on the Lord in answer to prayer. Now you and I, we pray and, you know, and then we get up and we go about our business. But so intense was he in this struggle in prayer that it totally consumed everything about him. His, his eating, his bathing, everything about him, he was consumed by it. And all of a sudden, verse 4, I'm going to read the narrative and give some explanation later, but the narrative right now. And on the 24th day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. This angel appeared to him in the form of a man whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His, bo his body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. And the sound of his words, like the sound of a tumult, roaring sound, like rushing wind. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. There were other people there. He was the only one who saw it. And yet something occurred, something happened in the presence of these other people that startled them, even though they didn't see the actual appearance of the angel. Now watch what it says. While the men who were with me did not see the vision, nevertheless a great dread fell on them. They were frightened. They thought death had come. They were so terrified. In the presence of this creature, this being from the unseen world. And they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me. Took all the strength out of me. For my natural color turned to a deathly pallor and I retained no strength. I bet that's true. I bet he was white as a sheet. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me, and set me trembling on my hands and on my knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you, and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Now, if you're following in your outline, there are five principles I want you to jot down with regard to this vision and what happened. Begin verse 12, the first principle. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Okay, principle number one. When a believer prays, he is immediately heard by God. Now, I'm sure that you have said that word, those words, and you've heard those words all of your life to the point that they really make no real impact on you. But if you were hearing that for the first time, 
that as soon as you speak, God hears. That's a pretty awesome thing. The moment you speak in prayer, that moment God hears. You have access to the throne of God, to the ear of God. The other day while I was doing my quiet time, I, just, I was over in the book of Nehemiah, and all of a sudden out of that material I was reading, I don't even remember what it was, it just occurred to me how astounding, how wonderful it is that he, with, with billions of people in this world calling on God, He hears every one of us the moment we pray. Now the God you and I have is a God who hears immediately and you have immediate access into the place where God is, into the throne room. He hears your cry, you say, your words. All right, principle number two. The next verse. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Strange and and, and difficult verse. The second principle is this, and then I want to try to give some exposition on that verse. The second principle is that demonic forces somewhere between heaven and earth, the third heaven and earth, can delay an answer to prayer, can resist the answer to prayer. That's what it says. Demonic forces that exist somewhere between here and there can delay the answer to your prayer. Now, what is he talking about when he says that the prince of Persia resisted? Now, let me read from Leupold, who is a German theologian, on his, from his book, uh, Expositions of Daniel. Quote, Bad angels, called demons in the New Testament, are without a doubt referred to here. In the course of, of their demonic activity, they gain strong influence over certain nations and governments of these nations. And they become the controlling power. They used whatever resources they could muster to hamper God's work and to thwart His purposes. Now this is what the loophole is saying. Let me see if I can say that. That there seems to be in the unseen world, the demonic world, a, a government that interlocks and tracks along the same line as our government. In other words, in this demonic world, there is a system established that interlocks with and tracks alongside our institutions of government is like it. So you have a prince who is of hierarchy and authority in this demonic world and he operates with that hierarchy and with that position, that status. And there is a chain of command, as I alluded to a minute ago, in this unseen world that is very familiar and similar to our own chain of command, our own system of government and its structure. 
And there seems to be the indication that these princes of Persia were those of the highest hierarchy and they had the greatest authority and the greatest power in this unseen demonic world. And because why was it true, why was it that this messenger from God, it took three weeks to get to Daniel with the answer, and then only after Gabriel came? Well, it appears to me that the answer is obvious, that their, their rank, the rank of the intercepting demon was greater than the rank of the angel in this spirit world. And so they called on Michael. Was it Michael or Gabriel? Called on Michael, one of the chief princes. And he came for assistance because his rank was higher than the rank of the intercepting demon. Now, the point is this. That in this spirit world and demonic world, there is... And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips... Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to the man who was standing before me, O oh my Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. I am totally exhausted, he's saying. Principle number three. Wrestling in prayer is exhausting work. Wrestling in prayer is exhausting work. The hardest work you will ever do is the work of prayer. And the greatest struggle you will ever encounter in this life is the struggle that occurs on your knees. Now, here's what we do. We spend a little bit of time in prayer and it costs us no energy or strength and then we go out and have a tough time in the world. But you track, you follow the, the story of Jesus and you'll find this to be true of Jesus, that He struggled in prayer so great was his struggle in prayer that he would spend all night in prayer. And on one occasion, so great was the struggle in prayer that blood came out to sweat upon his brow. But when he went out into the world, he had command and authority. Where did that authority and command come from? It came from the victory he accomplished in the wrestling in prayer. Now, most of us know absolutely nothing about the battle of prayer because prayer, wrestling in prayer, really doing battle in prayer is exhausting work and it leaves you breathless and drained. That's why it's so hard to pray. Now occasionally, I'll begin to really work on my prayer life and I'll start developing my own spiritual walk with God, my prayer life, and, and I'll start doing it and I'll be, beginning, I'll be experiencing times with God that are wonderful. You know, 
the, the, the more I do that, the longer that occurs, the more difficult it is to do it. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you nodding your head up and down and just going into prayer and just taking the time to enter into prayer becomes a battle in itself. You know what I'm talking about. And there's this tremendous resistance. And while you're in prayer, there is this awesome resistance. And every evil thought you could ever think comes at the time of prayer. Some of the worst thoughts I have in my entire day are the thoughts I have when I'm in prayer, believe it or not. It's exhausting work. All right, principle number four, found in verse 18. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. Principle number four. Following such experiences, there is an extra measure of strength that comes. Wonderful. I love it. Listen to it. Following such experiences, there is a remarkable infilling of energy and strength. A remarkable strength returns sometimes. Sometimes in the form of an angel. Now, I'm going to get off into a place today where you're going to have to, you who know me, know that I'm not a weirdo and radical. Some of you come tonight, first time, you think, whoop, what is this guy? You know, you're going to have to, you know, 10 years, I have a little credibility. Let me tell you a couple of things. Let me share with you a couple of experiences. I was watching Larry King live the other night, and uh, they had Mickey Rooney on there. Did you all see that interview with Mickey Rooney? Mickey Rooney has become a born-again Christian. And, they, and, and Larry King said, I understand that you have embraced the Christian faith. He said, yes, I have. He said, well, tell me about it. He said, I was sitting at a table in Lake Tahoe with some friends one night. And a waiter came to my table. He said it was the most, had the most beautiful face. He said he had, he had long blonde hair like gossamer hair. He said, he walked over to my table and he said, he kind of bent over and looked me in the face and said, aren't you Mickey Rooney? And he said, yes, I am. He said, this waiter said, I have come to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he said, I looked into the face of this guy. He said, I was so, he said, it was just like something came over me. He said, it was just uh, this, this awesome feeling, this awesome presence, this guy leaning over me saying, I've come to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he said, talk to me a little bit about Jesus. Turned around and left. And he said, I, I spoke to my friends at the table. I said, do you know who that guy was that was just here talking to me? And they said, what guy? There ain't nobody here talking to you. And he said, I got up from my table. He said, I called the maitre d'. He said, I want to meet that guy that's, that serves tables here. He's got that long blonde hair. And the, and the maitre d' said, we don't have a waiter here that has long blonde hair. And Larry King said, Mickey, aren't you, are you sure you didn't just hallucinate? And Mickey Rooney looked back at him. He said, Larry, I did not hallucinate. There was a man standing telling me about Jesus Christ. And Larry King said, then I guess you believe that there is more 
that's left to come, better things left to come. He said, I believe that absolutely. And they broke for a, for a commercial. Second story. I heard a missionary tell about one night he was traveling across the country. He was on furlough. He was traveling across the country. He said it was dark, one of those dark and stormy nights. You know how stories start? It's a dark and stormy night. He said it was raining and cold and bad. And he said, I just said, you know, I was sleeping. I had to travel all night. He said, Lord, I wish you'd send somebody that could travel with me that we could just share, some Christian, some born-again person, and we could just share and help me stay awake. He said, I've been traveling about 15 minutes, and I saw him standing beside the road, a man hitchhiking. He said, I don't normally do this. He said, I don't normally pick up hitchhikers, but I just prayed that God would give me somebody to travel. He said, I pulled over, and, and he said, I asked the man, are you a born-again believer? He said, I am a believer. I'm a Christian. He said, get in. He said, he got in, and they headed to California. He said, they traveled through the night, and they talked, and he said, it was a wonderful experience as we shared the Christian life and the Christian faith together. And he said, on about 3 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in Arizona, he pulled over at a truck stop to get a cup of coffee. It was still raining, kind of raining a little bit, kind of breaking up. And he said, they went inside and they drank this cup of coffee. And the man said, well, he said, this is where I get off. He said, I need to stay here. I've got some relatives nearby. And he said, I need to stop. I need to stop. And he said, well, you know, I, I sure enjoyed our visit. Thanks for riding. He said, he got in a car. He said, he went down the, down the road a little bit. He said, he thought, no, I didn't even tell that guy thank you, so I didn't even get his name. He said, when I turned around and went back to the truck stop, went in the truck stop, he said, there were the two coffee cups still sitting on the table. He said, I asked the owner, is that guy that was sitting here with me at this, at this table drinking coffee, is he anywhere around? The guy said, there wasn't anybody sitting with you. He said, we wondered why you ordered two cups of coffee. He said, well, he brought one. He said, it was sitting there. He said, there wasn't two guys with you. There wasn't a guy with you, just one of you. Now, you make of that whatever you want to make of that. But it seems to me that if we believe in a personal God, by the way, Larry King asked, you know, Mickey Rooney, do you believe in a personal devil? You know, if we believe in a personal devil, if we believe in a personal God, then somehow it just fits to me that we believe that there is in this world those angelic beings that give strength now we find them in the ministry of the New Testament, no question about that. We find them in the ministry of Jesus. And after he was tempted in the wilderness, after that exhausting experience, what happened to him? An angel ministered to him. And after Gethsemane, when everything was drained out of him, even his own blood, what happened? An angel ministered to him. Maybe it is the, the reason why you have not felt the touch, the brush of angels' wings is because you've not yet wrestled with sin as Jesus did, and you've not wrestled yet with the will of God as Jesus did. Because when we wrestle in prayer with the will of God and with sin in our life, and we wrestle with that honestly and faithfully, and the, all the energy and strength is gone, then this strength comes from God, the supernatural. All right, principle number five found in verses 20 and 21. Then he said, 
Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I'm going forth. And behold, the prince of Greece. All of a sudden, there's another one there. The prince of Greece is about to come. Look at that. He just finished the battle with the prince of Persia, now the prince of Greece. These are not human beings he's talking about. Just mark that off right away. He's, we're talking about spirit beings. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Principle number five. Overcoming demonic forces is not a once-for-all battle. Let me say it again. Overcoming demonic forces is not a once-for-all battle. They come again and again and again. And when you finish with one, they come again. As Shakespeare said, not in single file, but in battalions they come, one after another. They tell you that, but it's true. Now, before we get out of here, I want you to turn quickly to the book of 2 Kings. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6, there is a story here that's my favorite story. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I want you to turn, everybody turns please, to 2 Kings. Now, 2 Kings is over in the Old Testament. So you got Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 and 2 Samuel. You got it right in there, 2 Kings. Let me give you a little bit of background. This is just kind of a Knox County paraphrase of this. This king, the king of Aram, was having a problem uh, with Elijah, the prophet, because Elijah, the prophet, was reading his mail, quote, end quote. And he, was, he was in on everything he was doing. He was a step ahead of him. Now look at verse 12. It says, And one of his servants said, Well, he asked, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? It says in verse 12, chapter 6, And one of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> Look at that. He said, Can you tell me who is the leak, who is the spy that's telling the king of Israel our, our, our plans before we ever are able to carry them out? He said, No, there's not anybody that's leaking that information. There's no insider giving out the information. But there is a prophet in Israel that knows what you talk about in your bedroom. <laughs> that would be pretty shocking, kind of scary. What he's saying is, you have no secrets from the prophet of Israel. All right, look what happens. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told, saying, behold, he's in Dothan. And he sent horses for one man. He sends horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant, the servant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, he went out to kind of take a good deep breath of fresh air in the morning. He looks around and he sees this army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's frightened. 
So he answered, that is the prophet, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I can just see him looking around saying, where? Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Wouldn't it be something if suddenly God opened our eyes to all that there is around us? All right, two conclusions and applications. We've already alluded to one, it's this. We would be amazed at the unseen forces around us. We would be amazed at the unseen forces around us. Second, we should be encouraged at the power of the invincible might within us. Chariots of fire. We should be encouraged at the power of the invisible might within us. For he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this thrilling story. We don't understand. We are unable, Lord, in this physical existence to understand the supernatural and spiritual world. But we understand the personality of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. We're encouraged by the fact that the mighty army of God is at our protection and surrounds us. And the host, the King of the host of heaven, is our best friend. Help us to trust Him and live in victory. And when we come against these evil ones, we might stand victorious the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Now, there might be some tonight who need to come declaring your faith in Jesus Christ opening your life to the Lord Jesus as real, as more real than you and I are real. Come and live in your heart and live in your life. Maybe you need to come tonight and rededicate yourself to Christ or to join this church doing what God wants you to do. There's enough strength to do it if you'll exercise faith. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.